Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Isaiah chapter 6, we've been reading through the book of Isaiah, if you're in the Bible Challenge. And I wanted to cover the whole chapter, but it just got too long, so I I stopped in the middle of 6. But we're going to begin again with verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah is speaking, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was uh, generally a good king, uh, beloved of uh, the people, but he died of leprosy when he decided that uh, he was going to let his pride get the best of him. And not only would he be a king, he wanted to become a priest. So he went into the temple to... to, uh, Uh, do some things that only the priests uh, should do. And when he, you know, the priest said, hey, don't do this. This is wrong. You're out of line. You need people like that in your life, by the way, to tell you you're out of line. But he insisted, pushed through, and when he did, leprosy immediately struck him. Church, it's vital that we learn to stay in our lane. Don't destroy your assignment by getting envious of somebody else's assignment. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah's death marked the end of a uh, a whole era of national prosperity in uh, Judah. You know, sometimes God allows the people that we look up to to fall short to remind us where our help really comes from. This is important. Love people intensely, passionately, but only put your complete trust in God. And that'll keep you safe. In that year, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now, Uzziah may have fallen off the throne, but God had not fallen off his throne. But notice here, God was not hoping on the throne. He wasn't waiting for the people to vote him in. He wasn't saying, well, you know, if enough people on earth like me, maybe Judaism will become a valid religion. Maybe if enough people, you know, in our century become a Christian, maybe then Christianity would become valid and maybe I'd have a throne. No, whether people liked it or not, this king was seated, which meant he was vested with the full authority and power of the kingdom and the divine state. And in a period of national anxiety, a little bit like our, our own day, God pulled back the veil to show Isaiah that God was still large and in charge. John chapter 12 and verse 41 gives us a little more insight, New Testament insight, into what Isaiah or Isaiah sees here. He said, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory, speaking of Jesus' glory, and spoke of him, speaking of Jesus. So the New Testament tells us that the one that was seated on the throne was Jesus himself. So this idea that some people peddle of this weekly 
sweaty palmed, pasty face, you know, kind of guy, uh, Jesus sucking a bottle of Malox with a straw. This concept, this timid Jesus has no foundation in all of the scriptures. And this misrepresentation of Jesus is why I, as a young man, really did, had no interest in the church. I didn't want anything to do with, with, with that God that would make you so weak, that would make you so poor, that would make you so tired, always going through and always whining. And I'm trying to, you know, swing low, sweet. I'm not, I didn't know that. <laughs> Let me say this. If I was a slave, I'd probably be singing swing, swing low too, so I'm not making fun of them. But how many of y'all know that uh, uh, we're not working behind the big house anymore. Life is too short to live it scared. Isaiah 61. I saw the Lord sitting comfortable on a throne. The Bible doesn't say this, but I'm I'm convinced he was laughing at our silliness, but loving us amazingly through it all. So he was seated on the throne, but then the next descriptive comes. High and lifted up. Jesus' throne is a thousand times higher than Air Force One could ever fly. Further than Hollywood can ever throw a rock and higher than any university can ever build an ivory tower. When we finally discover the power of God within us, we never need to fear again the powers around us. And the train, these descriptors are important, of his robe filled the temple. Solomon's temple was 90 feet long by 30 feet wide. And the ancients understood that the length of a king's robe represented his grandeur and and his power. So the point here is this. This king, this particular king's splendor, was too big to fit in anybody's box. Too big even for Solomon's temple. Listen to what Solomon himself said about this king we just finished worshiping. 1 Kings 8 and 27. He said, and he posed the question, but will God indeed somehow shrink down and dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, O God. How much less this temple or even this next church we build. You see, the the God of the universe loves us so much, and we can kind of get this twisted in our mind and and misunderstand God's power and and, and grandeur and his strength. He's a lot like a parent that gets on his hands and knees and begins to play with their toddler. Now, you know, the the toddler can't come up to you, so you got to go down to the toddler. And you might even have a little baby football and you'll throw the little football and he'll pass the football back. But you can never deal with that toddler like you were on a real football field with somebody your size. You understand? Everything you do is kind of mitigated and and, and you manage every movement to secure the safety of your child. 
And God likewise limits himself or reduces himself to dwell with us in a localized way. But again, don't get this just because sometimes you feel his presence. You, you need to understand that just because you could put some of the ocean in a bottle, never confuse that bottle with the ocean. If God did not control himself, we would all immediately be swallowed up into oblivion. So God is so gentle and so sweet, and he dwells amongst us, and we think that's God. That's about that much. Oh, we said we had a service. Some people fell on the carpet. You kidding me? When we see his face, the Bible said we're going to fly through the air. When we see him, our bodies aren't going to be able to contain. Our spirits are going to explode, and we're going to be caught up, and we're going to go right through the roof. I was on a little carpet time. What's that carpet time? <laughs> Isaiah 6 and 2. Above it, or above the throne, stood these amazing creatures, seraphim. The word seraphim literally means to burn or burning ones. They were beings that lived on the fire of God's presence. I want you to back up because we have reduced God to something that he's not. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And then we quickly move on to the next verse. But I want you to imagine what happened in this moment. God steps out of eternity And he says, light be. And immediately, fire and light, the sun is a small star. Immediately, the light that scientists say, the the, the scientists say that the universe is expanding still at the speed of light. God said, light be. And power shot out of his mouth. At 186 miles per second, the speed of light. I want you to imagine you standing there. If you, first of all, if you were standing there, you'd have to be in some type of crazy spacesuit protecting you and all the rest. But if you could stand there, that's why no one could see God and live because He is something else to behold. But if you were standing there, your hair would be flying back. Your face would go, you know, I mean, you did the power. Would you just did. And then I hear people lightly say, well, I got a word from God. What? Do you understand what a word from God? Really? Really? Is? When God said, like be, no one guessed what he meant. And when God truly speaks, there's a velocity and a veracity and a sureness that comes through his voice. And each one of these seraphim had six 
wings, representing remarkable power, agility, and speed. And with two, he covered his face. He worshiped and bowed before God. We see that in Revelation. With the other two, he covered his feet also to honor and worship God. Uh, Maybe he just didn't get a pedicure. I'm not sure. But (laughs) the next verse says, and with two, he flew or did his work. We can learn from the ratios here. Only one third of what we do should be work for him. But two thirds of what we do should be the worship of him. Patty cake, patty cake. Verse three. Then one of these amazing creatures. By the way, seraphim only mentioned once in the Bible. So no one had ever seen these creatures like Isaiah just is seeing them now in all history. So I'm sure his eyeballs are big. It says, and one of these creatures cried, meaning it was loud. And he cried to his buddy on the other side and said, only those who have experienced earthquakes and or maybe you've been in a, a, a war-torn region and where, where major bombs were, were dropping can kind of get a sense in, of, of, of the bass and the reverberation that that went through everything that surrounded this creature as it worshiped God. So one seraphim speaks to the other seraphim. Can these superhuman beings worship God? As powerful and as bright as they were, they recognized God was still the brightest. As bright as you are, if those seraphim still worship God, How much more must we? And they're in God's presence, and they they look at God, and they they, they say to one another, face covered, feet covered. No glory of their own is such an incredible presence. They look at each other, and they say, man, holy, holy, holy. The word holy means above. And if you want to get sophisticated, it means transcendent. If you want to bring it back down for common folks to understand, it simply means to be in a class by yourself. We find in Scripture that holiness is the most defining characteristic or attribute of God amongst them all. So the angels, when they see him, they find a word that captures what they see. And in Hebrew, they did not have punctuation. So if a writer wanted to emphasize something, they'd say it twice, kind of like the way I speak. When I start repeating stuff, I'm trying to emphasize a point. In the Bible, there's nothing to the third power. When God called Moses, he said, Moses, Moses. When Peter went sideways and God, Jesus called him, he said, Peter, Peter. But only once in the Bible do we find any statement rising to the superlative, to the degree of the words that we read here. 
So if we read these words in English, it would be the word holy followed by a whole row of exclamation points in order for you to get the idea of what these men were saying or these seraphim. So they looked at each other after looking at God and their only response could be holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Here's what I need you to notice. The seraphim did not say power, power, power. Neither did he say love, love, love. But when he had to pick a word to describe God, he said, holy, holy, holy. God, you alone are in a class all by yourself. Unlike the way many of us think, God is not just slightly bigger, slightly stronger, slightly more intelligent. He's in another category all together. And then they continue and they said, the whole earth, not just the church, not just the temple, not just where the Christian folk live, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, we pray, and it's right to pray this way, but we pray, Lord, fill our church with your presence this Sunday. But we think way too small. What does the Bible say? The whole earth is full of his glory. Our prayer should be, Lord, you know what? You kind of fill our church every Sunday. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to focus on this. How about filling the whole, the entire DMV with your presence this week? Wouldn't it be nice for Congress, to, to everyone to leave and kind of shut down, not because of a filibuster, but because God's presence is so permeated, the, 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 the Capitol building, that all the lawmakers start holding on to their seats, crying out to God. If my people who are called by my name would just humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wickedness, then they'd hear from heaven and and heal our land. But we got to pray a little bit bigger. It says, in the posts of the door were shaken by the voice. Imagine a voice now that shakes a building. And these voices, they're not even God. They're just seraphim reflecting something of the image of God. The post of the door, and by the way, I, I understand, that I may be wrong, but in a hurricane, you, you want to be, uh, well, first you want to be in the bathroom, but I'm also told that you, uh, at times, you want to be under a door, a door joint, because it's a special, I mean, there's a frame up there, so it's additional support. So one of the last things that should shake in your house should be your door frame. So the fact that the wall's shaking, you get that. But when the doors are shaking, that's a whole different thing. And, and I remember when we had this earthquake here, I was in the other building, and it felt like a helicopter had landed on the roof of the building. And that was a, a relatively mild earthquake. But when these beings spoke, their voice literally caused the, the house to shake. 
Then it says, and the house was filled with smoke. So the brooding, permeating, and unstoppable cloud of the presence filled the room. How many you know that the best way to control smoke is to reduce the fire? But the Bible says our God is a consuming fire, meaning nothing could have stopped that smoke. And when Isaiah saw it, he looked at these creatures and he watched how powerful they were and yet they worship the man seated on this throne. And he said, woe is me, for I am undone. Now, what I just said is almost profanity to the modern cult of self-esteem. Because in the modern cult of self-esteem, you're supposed to make people feel good no matter what. Don't, don't tell people the truth. You, you give them hope. And you, you make them feel good about themselves. And pat them on their heads on the way out. But here's what I know. Before God can let you do you, he often has to undo you. If you never feel just a little bit uncomfortable with God's word, I'm probably not doing my job. By the way, the silence today is okay because you're thinking, you're processing. You say, woe is me for I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips. This is a prophet. And when he saw the contrast between him and his God, he's like, how can I join the seraphim using lips like, like mine that have often spoken bitter words and rash words, doubtful words? I mean, he, when you see purity like that, it kind of makes you back up. And the more clearly we see God, the more aware we become of our inadequacy and the powerlessness we have apart from him. I hope this is not self-serving, but every now and then someone says, hey, Bishop, you're pretty humble. Uh, I've seen God. And when you understand who he is, who I think I am, so what you call humility for me is common sense. I ain't crazy. I know who I'm dealing with, and I also know what I am by myself. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.